it's kind of ironic that I speak to you tonight, Tuesday night, or Tuesday afternoon actually, as the bell rang to dismiss school, I get an email from my associate principals, one of my APs, and she says, there was, it was addressed to three of us, and they, her, basically the idea was, can't wait to hear what you've prepared for us tomorrow morning for our PD session. My reply was, what am I sharing? Because I was not aware of it. And as we went through the email thread, I finally gathered what she wanted me to share with you or share with them. So I did that. And then that same idea is going to be the focus of tonight's lesson, which I thought was interesting. You know, as, as long as I've been teaching, okay, and I did some math, and this is kind of scary for me to realize, and this is a very rough estimate, but I, I've estimated that I've probably presented 35,000 classroom lessons in my career. That's a lot. And if you look at my computer on the files of all the sermons that I've shared with you, I'm in the 45 to 50 range for here. And yet, every time I prepare a lesson plan, every time I prepare a lesson for you, I stress out about the introduction because I want to get you hooked right away. I want to get your attention and I really try hard to make that happen. In the classroom, it's a little different. Okay. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have 25 to 30, 15, 16, 17 year olds walk into my classroom after a weekend. Just imagine their attitude not going to be very, they're going to, good morning. So I try to figure out different ways to engage them early on in my lesson. So tonight I'm going to share with you three of them that I utilize on a regular basis. I actually have three or four others, but these are the three that I thought would be appropriate for tonight's lesson. And the first one's a would you rather. And the men who were here for the scheduling meeting earlier or about a month or so ago know that I shared this one. And it's interesting, you, you, you share a question like this with a group of people, and the whole intent, again, is just to get you to think, is to open up those synapses between the nerves and get ideas flowing in your brain. And sometimes the answers you get, it, it can be kind of tough. So my would you rather for you tonight is this. Would you rather eat a slice of apple pie or pumpkin pie? think about that. Honestly, it has absolutely nothing to do with academics. It's, I simply want them to look at those choices and make a decision. And some of them can get pretty heated. Okay. I had some kid tell me pumpkin pie is the worst thing ever created. And it didn't matter what the other choice was, as long as it wasn't pumpkin, he was good. But you get the idea. It just gets you to think, I've got to make a choice. So that's one way that I try to engage my students and get them to think is through that question. The other one's called a lateral thinking puzzle. And as a teacher, I am very guilty of this. I teach in a linear manner. You complete step one, get an answer, then you move on to step two, and then step three and step four, and you just continue to go through that process to solve a problem. Well. A lateral thinking puzzle causes you to think outside the box, okay? And you may know the answer to this one. It's titled, I'm Broke. And I will tell you, I am not smart enough to create these. I have resources that I pull from. 
but it still, again, engages the brain. So here's the question, or here's the situation. A woman stopped her car in front of a hotel. Immediately, she knew she was broke. Explain how this can happen. I told you, I, I said earlier I'd make this interactive, so if anyone has the answer, I'd be glad to hear it if you know what the answer is. Anyone know? Because there's a very good chance many of you have been in the, in the shoes of the woman. You ready? Just playing Monopoly. <laughs> See? I've had kids will go through, they, they say, oh, she crashed the car into the hotel, or she ran out of gas and didn't have any money in her wallet, and, or the valet was going to take her car, but she didn't have any money to pay for the valet. So it all depends on how you define that word broke. And then we can have discussions about all of that. But again, I get them to think because she landed her car in front of the hotel and knew that the rent would probably bankrupt her. And then there's the third way. And probably if you ask Kelsey and Justin, this is probably their favorite because they both experienced these as a student. These are my why ask whys. These are rhetorical questions. They're very bad puns in some cases. They're dad jokes, okay? But it gets a reaction just about every time. And I try to give the kids some clues like the McDonald's drive through sign and the alarm clock and then someone in a parachute. And you may have heard of these before, but again, it gets them to think. So why is it called a drive-through when you have to stop your car? Because aren't you supposed to drive through it? I didn't say you stop. Most of the kids are like, huh? What's that mean? <laughs> I'm like, have you ever been through a drive-through at McDonald's? Oh, I get it now. Okay. Or the alarm clock. Why is an alarm clock going off when it's actually turning on? I mean, you see how that doesn't work? But the last one, I will admit, is my favorite one of them all, okay? And it's this. Why are there flotation devices underneath plane seats instead of parachutes? Now, I have to pause here and share this story because if you're a decent teacher and you get a state, an opportunity like this, you want to open yourself up and show your vulnerability. So I'm going to do that tonight. But I have an admission. It's not my finest moment as a human being. I wasn't sinful. Um, and this actually happened before I met Stephanie. So the summer before I met Stephanie, I had the opportunity to go visit my friend in France. I had a friend who was working there. And of our little group of people, of our friend group, I was the only one who had not yet been there. So I made my reservations and, and took off and spent a few days in Paris. Made my connecting flights, got to Philadelphia, okay? For whatever reason, I don't know why, I was one of the first people to board, okay? So I, I get under the plane, I'm in the back, I'm in coach, and I'm on an aisle seat because I want to be able to stretch my legs a little bit, but I have one seat next to me and then the window. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, 75 to 100 French high school students walk onto that plane. Now keep in mind, I'm a high school teacher. It's my summer vacation and I can't get rid of them. So they all come in, they're all sitting down, and this young lady, about 16, 17-year-old, sits next to me, and I try to talk to her, does not know any English whatsoever. 
So my thought is I'm going to be stuck on a flight for eight hours with a person sitting next to me that I can't even have a conversation with. Great. I must have had a look on my face because the stewardess came up to me soon after that and said, sir, would you like to move seats? And I said, oh, yes, please. So she moved me to the aisle or the row next to the emergency exit, the big giant door, okay? Very nice. I had much more leg room. It was kind of neat. I couldn't see the screen very well to the movie, but that was okay. And I sit down, and immediately she starts explaining the protocol for how to open that big giant door that says emergency exit, okay? Now you gotta pump this three or four times and you crank it a quarter turn to the right and then you gotta push out and I start laughing. This is not my finest moment. I start laughing and she goes, sir, this is very important. And I said, I said, why? She goes, if this plane goes down, we're gonna need you to be totally focused to open up this door that we can be saved. And here's my wrong statement. I said, ma'am, I said, we are flying over the North Atlantic. If this plane goes down in the North Atlantic, it doesn't really matter what I do with that door, we're probably going to die. <laughs> she looks at me and she goes, okay then, and walks away. <laughs> Never saw her the rest of the flight. But you know what the catchphrase, here, here's the punchline. 1998, anyone want to guess what the in-flight movie was? Titanic. <sighs> But see, I introduced my class this way, and then the kids are just like you. You're smiling, you're relaxed, and then I can jump right into the material. So that's how I start classes. And again, I, I know it's not my finest moment, but it gets the kids relaxed. All of you are sitting there sort of with a smile on your face, and that was my intent. So I got you hooked. So tonight, if you think about all three of those strategies, it revolves around questions. And questions are very useful tools. They help us open the lines of communication between people. They help us acquire information. They help us diagnose problems. They help us to propose solutions to those problems. They help us learn, and they help us understand the world we live in. And as we open up our Bibles, there is a person in the Bible who asks a lot of questions, and that's Jesus Christ. Most of his teaching involved asking questions of people. And depending upon how you research and want to count, some sources I read online said that he asked around 300 questions in the four gospel accounts. Now, I'm wondering if some of those may have been repeated or rephrased in the different translations and so forth. So if you even take half of that number, 150 questions, that's still a pretty healthy number. And he challenged people of that time. And as we read our Bibles today in 2023, he continues to challenge us with questions. Because when we consider answers to his questions, we grow in our faith. You see, Jesus, he knew everything. He simply could have stood upon pedestals, stood on the top of mountains, and just shared all of his knowledge. But he didn't do that. He asked questions. And he asked questions of everyone because he wanted them to consider their response. He wanted them to internalize that response. He wanted them to make that response their own. And that way, when we share our faith and our belief with others, it's so much stronger because it's come from us with his help. 
So tonight, as that is our background, I want us to consider some of the questions, just a few of them, that he asked of the people of that time and the questions he asked of us today, and just think about the answers and the implications they might have for us. So as I mentioned, there's probably 150 or so questions I could have picked. These are the ones I did not pick. Why are you fearful? Do you believe I can do this? Why did you doubt? Why does this generation seek a sign? Where is your faith? What is the kingdom of God like? Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you ask me? These are all great questions. These are all questions that require a lot of thought and consideration as we attempt to answer them. And I briefly talked to Ryan this morning about this idea of questions, and we probably could have a year-long series on simply the questions that Jesus asked and spend all 52 weeks going through them. And probably we could have a lesson just about on each one of these if we so desired and wanted to put the time into it. But those are the ones I didn't choose. The three that I chose for tonight are these. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 16, verse 15. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. And what do you want me to do for you? Matthew 20, verse 32. So let's go through each one of these. So the first one, who do you say that I am? And to really understand this question, I think we need to put it into its proper context. So before I read this, I want, I'm going to read a few verses before this just to provide a little bit of context, and then we'll, we'll talk about its implication for us. This question comes to us in verse 15. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they, so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, and one of the prophets, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? So the people that were following Jesus were watching him do all of these things, listening to his, his lessons, listening to his, his, his speaking, watching him perform miracles. And he asked, hey, what are the people saying? Who do the, who do the people think that I am? And they give these answers. But he changes the question. In verse 13, it was, who do men say that I am? In 15, who do you say that I am? Asking specifically to his disciples. He changed it from a very broad question to a very focused personal question. And if you read the very next verse, verse 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the correct answer. That's the correct answer. Today, we have some in this world who share an alternative answer to who Jesus is. Some say that he's just another prophet that God sent to, the, sent to share his message. There are some out there who simply feel Jesus was just a good moral teacher that we need to listen to. But he is the Son of God. And if someone believes something other than that, then they're going to develop their, their belief system 
and assist in something else that's false. And they're going to live their life according to that false belief. But we, though, here agree with Peter. And because of that, our faith, our beliefs, our salvation is rooted in that truth. And this is the answer that we base our studies on. This is the answer that we base our spirituality on. This is the answer that helps guide our lives, knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then we get to question number two. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And again, this really relates, these kind of, these two questions are very similar to one another because it deals with foundation. What's the foundation of what we believe? Within the past month or so, they've started to build a house next to ours. And over the last couple of weeks, we've seen the, the workers out there making measurements, putting those stakes in the ground. And then within the past couple of weeks, they've, uh, they've laid that thick layer of concrete for the foundation of the house. And that foundation's important because if that slab of concrete is not level, if it's not poured to the exact dimensions that are on the blueprint, um, it's not, not going to be a good base. The walls will be flawed. The water lines won't be where they should be. The rooms won't be the size that the owners expect them to. There's going to have a lot, there's going to be a lot of problems. And this concept applies to us as well. If we say, and many of us here have said this, that Jesus Christ is our foundation. That means that we've made the Bible and we've made its teachings as a basis for our faith. We believe that God is the one who created the world. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that he was crucified on the cross and was resurrected a few days later. But this question says to the effect, and not do, do not do what I say. So what do we need to be doing? Okay? Well, here's what we need to be doing. We need to be loving God, loving our neighbor, telling the truth, acting justly, being generous, be merciful, forgive, to help others when we have the opportunity. And if we don't do these things, then we need to go back and repair our foundation. It can be done. If that house next to me, if that foundation is flawed, there are things that can be done to correct it, but it's gonna take work, it's gonna take effort, it's not gonna happen on its own. They may need to tear down a wall or maybe they need to you know, chisel out some different areas for things and then fill in those cracks, but the foundation can be fixed. And if we have the situation where we're not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, we have the opportunity as well. We can read our Bibles more. We can put more time into study. We can change our habits. So just like a physical house's foundation can be fixed, our spiritual foundation can be fixed as well. And then we get to question three. What do you want me to do for you? Again, think about this. This is Jesus Christ speaking to people saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? In this passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verse 32, again, I think needs a little bit of context. So I'm going to 
Go back a few verses to, and begin in verse 29. This is Matthew 20, beginning in 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? What were they asking for? The multitude tried to quiet them, but Jesus still stopped and took the time and, and heard them and asked that question, what do you want me to do? And their answer was a pretty simple answer. They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. They ask for a couple of things. They ask for mercy. They ask Jesus to show mercy to them and then to give them sight. Now, many of us here already have the ability to see, but we know that there are people out there who struggle with physical sight. But I want to take a little different angle on this and talk about our spiritual sight. We can read our Bibles. We can read the words. But what do those words, what effect do those words have on us? What do they do for us? We need Jesus to help us understand these things. We need him to help us understand these situations. When they ask for sight, yes, it's probably physical sight. But if that were us in this situation, we would say we need to, our eyes to be opened to what you would have for us. We need him to help us understand. We need him to help us stay on that narrow path. We need um, him to be our guide. So we need just as much help as these men did. So as we think about these questions, and in many cases, a lot of the questions that we handle during our day-to-day -day lives are pretty trivial. You know, what's for dinner? What do you want for dinner? Or what do you want to watch on TV tonight? Okay, those are pretty insignificant questions, okay? Yes, we put some thought into them, but the answers really don't mean much. The questions I shared with you at the beginning of the lesson, okay? Apple pie or pumpkin pie? Not a life or death question, okay? It's just a question just to get people to think. But sometimes there's questions that are hard and require a lot more thought. Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should I buy a new car, which is more expensive, or should I buy a used car, which is less expensive? Those take a little bit more time and effort to, to walk through. But answering the questions that are posed in the Bible by Jesus for us, they are important. Who do you say that I am? You are Jesus Christ. You are the Son of God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, what I, do, not do what I say? It's because I need help. I, my foundation is broken. I need to read more about you. I need help in understanding who you are and what you would have for me. I need to listen to you more than I do those people around me in the world. 
What do you want me to do for you? I want you to guide me. I want you to show me the right way to live. I want you to show me the way to react. I want you to help me get to heaven when my days in this land are over. So if you're with us tonight and you have not yet answered those questions, I have a few more for you to consider. Do you want to go to heaven? I can remember the night that I was baptized and I expressed my, my intent with Nolan and Amanda that evening. I remember Nolan's question right off the bat. Why are you answering this way? What's happened? And my answer was pretty simple. I wanted to go to heaven. I'd read about it. I knew about it. I wanted to go to heaven. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Are you ready to follow Jesus and his teachings? Are you ready to be baptized and have your sins washed away? All very important questions. And if your answers are yes to any of those, we are ready tonight to make that happen. Or if you've already answered yes, but you need some help in maintaining your way, we're ready to help you as well. Whatever your need may be, please come forward while we stand and sing.